the book of James, chapter 3, and the verses are 1 through 12, 1 through 12. In a country graveyard in England, there is this tomb that has this epitaph on it. Beneath the stone, a lump of clay, lies Annabella Young, who beginning on the 4th of May, began to hold her tongue. <laughs> for, for some people, it almost takes death <laughs> to begin to hold their tongue. Da Vinci, who was, the, uh, was a mastermind in the Renaissance, one of the most brilliant men that's ever lived, tried to satisfy his enormous curiosity, a ravenous curiosity. And he studied the human anatomy like few men out of the field of medicine will ever do. He kept copious notes. And one of his notes read, And now the tongue, ah, the tongue. No member needs so great a number of muscles as the tongue. It exceeds all the rest in the, in the number of its movements. You reckon he studied the tongue, somebody's tongue that you know? <laughs> Van Gorto, the, English, the eminent German philosopher, one of the greatest minds of Germany said, one ought every day at least to hear a great song, read a great poem, see a fine painting, and if it were possible, speak a few reasonable words. I've often regretted my speech. I have never regretted my silence. If your lips would keep from slips five things observe with care, to whom you speak, of whom you speak, and how and when and where. I've come to talk to you tonight about the tongue. And I want you to turn to the third chapter of the book of James to what is the greatest passage in the Bible on the tongue. And if you'll follow your um, outline, we're, verses 1 and 2 give introduction, so let me read them. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now it seems like that James is condemning the teaching ministry, but he's not. What he's doing is that he is warning us lest we slip up in the matter of the use of the tongue. And there is a divine command, it's an imperative in the Greek New Testament, and an imperative uh, construction in the Greek is such that it leaves no option or no choice. And the divine imperative command is this, stop becoming many teachers. Stop clamoring for the teaching position. Now I have a feeling as I had a feeling as I read this that anybody who served on a nominating committee in a Southern Baptist church can no way identify with this command. 
I mean, it's not a matter of, you know, people clamoring for our teaching position in a Southern Baptist church. What James is saying is that the teaching ministry that goes on in a church should not be something you seek. It should be something that seeks you. And he warns, be careful and don't seek the role of a teacher. Why? Because they're going to be judged with a stricter judgment. And there are three reasons why that is true. One is because we must teach the truth instead of our opinions. That's not an easy thing to do. You've seen the little placard, I've made up my mind, don't confuse me with the facts. And I suppose that everybody here has an opinion. Let me tell you something, when it comes down to dealing with the truth, sometimes it runs counter to one's opinion. And it takes a great deal of honesty and humility to teach truth that conflicts with one's own personal opinion. The second reason why teachers incur stricter judgment is because what they say influences others. And so Jesus one day said, it'll be better for a man to have a millstone tied around his neck and he be cast into a lake than for him to offend one of these little ones. I don't think we understand how serious is the responsibility of a teaching, preaching ministry. And the, second re- and the third reason why it, a person who teaches incurs a stricter judgment is because he is to live what he teaches. Aristotle calls calls this the ethos in the speaker. And he says that the important thing that is is said is not what you say believable, the important thing is are you believable? You've heard Kierkegaard's illustration about the little traveling circus that came to town and they parked outside the town, got ready to, uh, to, to move into the city to set up their tents and while they were outside the little village their, their circus caught on fire. Well, the, the clowns had already dressed up in costume and makeup, and they were getting ready to come into the city in the big parade for the circus. And so when the, when the circus caught on fire, the clowns went running into town screaming that, that, that the circus was on fire. Everybody saw them as clowns, didn't believe them. Kierkegaard said, sometimes when we stand and teach because of what people understand and know about us, we're just not believable. And there is this authentic sign that must be present in every speaker's uh, in life and integrity that makes that person believable. And so that a, a teacher it comes under a stricter judgment because what he says must be believable because he is. As somebody put it, it's not what you say that's important, it's what your family says about you that's important. Now, the, explana- the, the classification then is this. He is not condemning teaching and he's not promoting silence. He is promoting control of the tongue. And he says that, this, that if a person is able to control the tongue, it is, it, it, it is a sign of two things. First of all, it is a sign of spiritual maturity. What would you say is a, is a, is a perfect man? Chapter, verse 2 says that a perfect man is a person who is able to control his tongue. What he means by that is this. When you, find, when, you, when, you, when you have a criteria for determining what is a mature Christian, the first thing you're going to look at is whether or not he or she can control his or her tongue. 
And it is a sign of self-mastery. What he's saying is this. You want to know the secret of self-control? Here it is. Begin with the control of the tongue. And I began to think about this just a little bit. It just kind of occurred to me that if there are areas in your life that are undisciplined, if there are areas in your life that are undisciplined, begin to discipline the tongue and those other things fall in place. All right, now the exposition of the passage, verse 3 through 12. The tongue is small but powerful, verses 3 through 5, and he gives three analogies that he wants to use. First is the analogy of a bit in the, horse of a mouth, in the, in the mouth of a horse. In the horse of a mouth. Well, that too. <laughs> in the mouth of a horse. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouths so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. I'm not sure how many of us tonight can, you know, relate to uh, how you, you know, how you hook up a horse to whatever you hook him up to. I grew up on a farm, we didn't even have any horses, but I do know this much, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that you put this bit in a horse's mouth right on his tongue, and wherever you move the tongue, that's where the horse is going. In fact, the whole body goes with the tongue. The whole direction of a person's life goes in the direction of his tongue. Listen to that. So that the direction of a man's whole life may be turned by the use he makes of his tongue. It's the compass by which our life journeys. It literally sets the course of one's inner life if there are other areas of the life that are undisciplined, begin to control the tongue and the whole life moves in that direction. The whole life moves in the direction of the tongue. The second analogy he used is, is, the, is the analogy of the rudder of a ship. And that little rudder guides the ship and if the rudder is, you know, uh, fouled up, the ship uh, is wrecked. What he's saying is this, you lose the ability, you lose the control of your tongue and it brings shipwreck of your life. I'm here to testify tonight of marriages that I've known that are shipwrecked because of an uncontrolled tongue. And I've known, wit I've known testimonies, I've known the witness of people's lives that are shipwrecked because they weren't able to control their tongue. And I know of friendships that have been dissolved, broken. And I know of partnerships that have been violated because of a misused word. One word, one slip, one failure to control the tongue and the whole thing is shipwrecked. Then he uses the analogy of the fire, the match, dropped in the wrong place and hundreds of thousands of acres are destroyed. You've been watching on television recently. Uh, there's a big deal made out of the fact that, that out in the southwest, uh, we ha we're having now one of the worst forest fire uh, seasons in, in, that we've ever known. And, and I was listening the other day, somewhere, sometime, some guy dropped a little match and thousands of acres and homes were destroyed. An unchecked tongue can annihilate this church. 
an unchecked tongue can ruin a church. Bickering and backbiting and gossip and slander. You realize that you have in your mouth the secret of the fellowship of this church. You have in your mouth sufficient tool to destroy it. Amazing that you have behind your teeth an instrument that can destroy the life of an innocent person. It's like a match dropped in dry kindling. The tongue is necessary but dangerous. Look at verses 6 through 8. Let me read that. And the tongue is as a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body, sets on fire the course of our life, and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Now there are three analogies here. One is the analogy says the tongue is a fire. The whole world of iniquity is expressed through it. The whole world of iniquity is expressed through it. Hatred is expressed through it. And bitterness is expressed through it. And one's on um, problems expressed through it. It says that this tongue is set on fire of hell. The word is Gehenna there, the New Testament word. Gehenna was the garbage heap out in the valley of, of Hinnon that, where they put the refuge and the garbage and burned it. It burned day and night. It was the foulest place in the city of Jerusalem. He's saying that it is this very place that, that sets the tongue on fire. And every evil of the ungodly world is expressed through it. He says the tongue is like a beast that cannot be controlled. A beast that cannot be tamed. How can the tongue be tamed? Well, a person must know the Lord Jesus and that person must live under the control of the Holy Spirit or that wild beast in a man's mouth is out of control. He says it's like a deadly poison. Behind your teeth is a vial of cyanide. When I was pastoring out in West Texas, a little town called Seminole is a kind of an um, uh, oil patch town. One day we, we got up and turned on the radio. It had, a, had, had news of a little town about 20 miles away called Denver City. And, in, in, and during the night, somehow, some, some way, the, some poisonous gas had escaped from this um, from these wells over in Denver City. It just kind of, it was a humid kind of a day and they it just kind of settled in and began to drift across an area. People sleeping died. One man who was um, uh, a, a pumper went out to, to, to work early that morning, drove right into it. It was, the, 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 the gas was odorless and uh, you, you couldn't detect it by eyesight. It was, it was colorless and odorless drove right into it, died in his pickup truck. And, and, and several people in that little community, in that area where that, that, that poisonous gas just kind of settled down, all died. 
Now, somehow, to James, the use of the tongue really got close to where he was. And I, you know, I, I, I don't understand why he's um, so concerned about this, except the fact that he recognized a deadly, a deadly potential in the tongue that you and I do not recognize. Better be careful what you do with this. And he says that the tongue is helpful but is inconsistent. It's not been unknown for a man to utter the most pious sentiments one day and repeat the most questionable stories the next. It's not unknown for men to speak with piety on Sunday and curse a squad of workmen on Monday. It's not unknown to speak with sweet graciousness at a religious meeting and go outside and murder one's reputation with malicious gossip. It's, it's contradictory. It's a paradox, but it happens. Um, when to a psychiatrist to pour out her heart. This was her question, which did God hear and which did God believe? And he says that from nature it's not consistent for salt water and pure water to come from the same source. Let's read that verse together, 9 through 12. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. For from the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh. You know what James is saying? What we've been after in this study all along is that if a person professes his Christian faith, then he's got to back it up with some practice. James is saying you make these pious professions and out of the same mouth of the pious professions come, come bitterness and cursing and malicious gossip. That's not consistent. I brought this little glass of water not to drink. What comes out of this glass is what's inside the glass. Vance Havner says, when you put the bucket down the well, what's down in the well is going to come up in the bucket. What comes out of the mouth, what, what, is, what is expressed in the speech is what's inside in the heart. What happens when somebody shakes you up? What comes out? What's inside of you? Occasionally somebody will say to me, well, he made me mad. No, he didn't make, him, he didn't make you mad. He just triggered the anger that's down inside of you. James is saying, now, if, if the source of your life is the Lord, then if that source is the Lord, what's going to come out of your mouth is going to be pure. It's just as consistent as nature itself. Now the application. Three things, and then I want to say four more things. That'd be seven. <laughs> Number one, the tongue defiles. The tongue defiles. The tongue defiles you, and the tongue defiles what you do. 
The tongue defies. It defies every attempt of human control. How many of you have said in times past, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to talk about people and I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to gripe and I'm not going to gossip. How many of you said that? One show of hands. Thank you, Margaret. <laughs> the tongue defies every attempt of human control. The tongue displays. The tongue is a window. Listen to me. The tongue is a window into your heart. Remember my old, old country doctor. You go to him, you know what he do? He'd say, stick out your tongue. First thing he'd say. Stick out your tongue. He could tell a whole lot about, do you still do that, Dr. Parker? Still, you still, you stick out your tongue. He could tell a whole lot about your health by looking at your tongue. Might be a good indication. It is a good indication. It's a window into what you are. Was it Socrates who said, speak so that I might see you? If when you talk, I know what you're like. Tongue displays. All right, four things. Bear in mind that words can never be recalled. Oh, I know some words tonight that I would love to recall. I told my mother one time that I hated her. I wish I had that word back. She knew I didn't mean it. I hope she did. But I said it anyway. I wish I had it back. I said something about a person one time and I love very much in a moment of anger. I said something about that person that caused someone else not to think as highly of him as he had. I wish I had that back. How many of you tonight can remember words that you have said and as soon as you said them, you wish you had them back. But you know you can't get them back. Number two. It's pretty heavy. Remember, we must give an account for every idle word. Now, there's a whole lot about the Bible I don't understand. Let me tell you, what worries me about the Bible is not what I don't understand. What worries me about the Bible is what I do understand. And just plain old Knox County English is this, that we'll give an account for every idle word. Now if that's the truth, and it must be, it's from the Bible, that's pretty, that's pretty frightening. I was teaching my Sunday school class this morning we were in that marvelous story, and let me tell you, it was the most exciting Sunday school class I've been in in many days. That marvelous story where, where God was telling Abraham that Sarah is going to give birth to a child. And, and, and Sarah's over hiding behind the tent door, and she laughs to herself. You remember that? She laughs to herself. And God, remember, there were three people that encountered Abraham there at that oaks of memory, and one of them was divine. It was the pre-incarnate Christ, the pre-incarnate God. He's, he was, he's called Yahweh, Lord. 
And God spoke to Abraham and said, why did your wife laugh? And uh, all of a sudden, Sarah's confronted with the omniscience of God. That she's over here hiding behind a tent door, saying stuff to herself that a man outside there is telling her husband. That'd be pretty frightening, wouldn't it? So I asked my class this. How many of you men would say or even think what you think about your wife if you knew that there was somebody outside the door that was going to translate it to her? And how many of you women would, even, would say or think what you say or think about your husband if you knew that there was this stranger outside who's going to translate your thoughts to your husband? Let me ask you this. How many of you would really say what you say if you really believed you'll give an account for every word? Three, learn to speak the good. Learn to speak the good. It's what the author of the Proverbs says, that, that words fitly spoken is the, is the translation in the King James. Words that are spoken for the good are like apples of gold and baskets of silver. Learn to speak the good. Listen, folks. You don't have to learn to speak the bad. You ever notice that? And you can go out of here and, 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 and it's, such a, it's such, so delicious, you know, to talk about people when you're talking about the bad, bad stuff. I've noticed that. I don't have near as much fun talking about people when I'm talking about good things about them as I do when I'm talking about bad stuff. Learn to speak the good. Fourth, you listen to me, kids? Learn to speak the good. What do you say about mom and dad? What do you say about your teachers? What do you say about your preacher? Don't answer that. <laughs> only Christ, number four, only Christ can control the tongue. If you have Jesus in your heart, you're on the way. And you on the way, you there, if you let Jesus, if you let the Holy Spirit take control of your life, you're on the way. And when the Holy Spirit takes control, then what He says, what He speaks through you, what you say is going to be positive. It's going to be holy. He never said anything wrong about anybody, the other, Jesus. And the other Jesus, the Holy Spirit, He never said anything disparaging about anybody. He never said anything critical, malicious, full of hatred about anybody. He only said good. Let me tell you, if God can control the wind and the waves and say, peace, be still, God can control life and death. He can control that tongue. If you let Him, coming to talk to you tonight about the importance of what you say. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you
you've given us the ability to communicate. Lord, we realize that that we've made um, so many mistakes with what we've done with our hands, what we've done with our feet, what we've done with our bodies, what we've done with our eyes, our ears. Lord, we we confess that we've made so many mistakes with what we've done with our mouth, our lips, our tongue. Lord, take control of our tongue. Let us praise you. Let us love one another. Help us to speak the truth in love to give witness. God, I pray that if folks are seeing what we're like by listening to our speech, that you'll help us to get down, down deep where that speech originates. Father, we lift up tonight our need to you, trust you to help us for Jesus' sake. There'll be three invitations tonight, just like always. One invitation is for you to come and give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Boy, I remember that, can't you? Those, those of us who've been saved, the greatest, greatest joy, the greatest day of one's life is the day he comes to know Christ. The day's when he, day when he's baptized. Some of you have been saved, you've never been baptized. I don't understand that. When you're really saved, when you want to, you'll, you'll want others to know about it. Maybe you just need to come tonight and say, look, I'm ready to be baptized. I've been saved. And I want everybody to know it. I want to go just like that young man did right there with that same courage. And I want to go into that water and give testimony that I've trusted in death, the death of Jesus and His resurrection. You want to do that tonight? What, wouldn't it be a better time to do that? Some of you want to come tonight in this invitation for you to re- recommit to follow God. To recommit your life to Him. You've drifted away from Him. Others know it. You want to come back. Maybe you need to join the church. Somebody said, he talked to somebody not long ago, said, well, I believe in the man upstairs, but I don't believe in the church. Well, the man upstairs believed in it, the church. Died for it. Maybe you want to come and place your life in the church. Well, this would be a great time. Maybe you're already here for college and you just want to start right out in a, in a church. We're praying you will right here. Let's stand and sing. You come. <laughs>